Are you listening? Good morning, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Monday Morning Analyst for Monday, February 23rd. How are you? You know how this works. 30 minutes or less, I'll get the timer ready, and we talk about the action, the technical action from the weekend in the variety of combat sports that we care about and pay attention to. I'm going to start introducing segments on this time, though. So we're going to start with like an overview of a big lesson I took away. Then we'll get into the major action, which includes UFC Fight Night 61 that aired last night from Porto Alegre, Brazil. We'll talk a little bit about Gennady Golovkin. And um, a little bit of a bit of uh, Bama 18 as well. And then in the last segment, very quickly, super easy, in and out, we'll talk about some things to look forward to this coming weekend. So big takeaways, detailed action, what to look forward to coming forward. Uh, I am going to get my, as you know, I have to get the timer ready. Sorry, I'm opening up the wrong program here because, you know, I'm so prepared for these. Here we are. And we shall do a stopwatch that... Here we are. Ready? Okay. So let's, uh, before I get the timer started, actually, I'll start the timer on this one. Um, Let's talk about a big overview. Ready? Starting now. Okay. So the clock's ticking. Big overview from the weekend. Less so about Gennady Golovkin. And obviously, whenever you watch Bama um, or any kind of high level but regional kind of promotion, you always want to, you know, have managed expectations about what's out there. You'll see guys developing their skill sets. They'll have some things that are really great, some things that catch your eye, but you just don't want to be too harsh on them either. So this is not so much about what a high-level professional boxer is doing or what regional MMA fighters are doing. So when I make that point, uh, the following point, I don't want us to say I'm sort of like issuing an umbrella statement about all the fights I saw. This is mostly about UFC fights, and even then really not so much about the lower level, or I should say higher level UFC fights. This is mostly about what I saw on the prelim card, but I've seen it now enough where it's important to make a point. And not just from last night, but from many, many, many UFC events. Now, look, if you want to talk about the top ten guys, especially the top five guys, this is basically an irrelevant concern. Um, Not that they all have it down uh, mastered, but that it's not the same kind of liability. Now, what am I talking about? If you've been watching Monday Morning Analyst, then you know that this is a big deal. Guys, head movement in MMA is a disaster. It is a disaster. We often talk about this show on other things. For example, we've mentioned that I think personally you see the amount of effort guys put into takedowns against the fence and it's become kind of everyone's strong suit because it's become such a point of emphasis. It really has for all the parties involved. So really trying to take a guy down there just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now what you're seeing to me is um, it's weird in MMA now where the guy who has the height advantage almost has this automatic striking disadvantage because there is such a lack of emphasis on head movement. So if one guy can get down and has a slightly more diverse skill set and maybe he's just a little bit more proactive, he is going to light someone else up. But even that's not really necessary. You don't have to have a height differential. Over and over and over and over again, you are seeing guys not move their head either offensively when they throw, defensively when they back out. They There is better circling these days, and I do feel like they cut angles a little bit more <coughs> pardon me, than they used to. But 
again, we've talked about something before. The takedowns against the cage, I'm not saying they don't work, but they require a lot of effort. There's a, not much juice for a lot of squeeze there. Um, it'll make sense sometimes, but you get the idea. Now I want to talk about something, uh, and, we'll, and I'll dig into it on some of these fights here. We need to make a point that this podcast made a point of saying, not just generally speaking, but like one of the biggest issues in striking in mixed martial arts today, including at the UFC level. Again, a little bit lower UFC level, but it's it's all too present on these broadcasts. The lack of head movement. Even for guys who have a decent stinging jab, um, it's still a pervasive, pervasive issue. And in some ways, I'm almost wondering what will happen if guys fix it because so many times they get hit off of this. You see a guy, and there's, it happened multiple times uh, on Sunday night where you see a guy have this issue and the person recognizes it who's fighting them and goes back to the well and back to the well and back to the well. Keep that in mind going forward. When you watch this next weekend's fights, maybe it'll be better because, uh, well, actually there's fewer ranked fighters on this card. But as we watch UFC cards for the rest of this year, pay attention to that. Takedowns against the cage is a big issue. Head movement is one, too. It's not an isolated problem. Well, this guy has it and that guy has it. It is pervasive. It is pervasive. Guys are getting better about throwing mixed combinations. I really feel like that. They're getting slightly better about single-shotting, although that's still a problem, too. But defensively, it's not their shell. It's not their shell. It's not even so much their range exactly. It is they are ramrod straight, and they are getting countered over and over again, and they are getting hit because their head is in the exact same place. Okay, with that said, um, UFC Fight Night 61 took place last night. This was at Porto Alegre, Brazil. Uh, Forgive my pronunciation. I know it is terrible. The attendance was reported to be 5,080. Um, it's a smaller venue, but as Guillermo Cruz pointed out on MMA Beat, this card had basically sold out before they even announced anyone on there because this was the UFC's debut in Porto Alegre. As you may know, whenever UFC goes to a new city for the first time, there's generally a lot of enthusiasm for it. Not to say there's not when they go back to a repeating city, but you can always sort of count on if UFC is making a debut somewhere, um, there's going to be some hype about it. So, um, the card was headlined by Frank Mir versus Antonio Silva, which we'll get to in a minute. Let's start at the bottom. Uh, Ivan George, Ivan Jorge, however it's properly pronounced in Portuguese from Brazil, uh, defeated Josh Shockley by unanimous decision 29-28, 29-28, and then 29-28. Not a lot to really talk about in this fight. Um, uh, George just had what I would call really mechanical striking. Shockley had a few things I thought he did pretty well. Nothing that exactly stood out to me as noteworthy. There was one exchange, though, not exchange exactly, on the ground. I think it was first or second round. Uh, George had him on his back, and uh, George was mounted, couldn't quite get his butterfly hooks in, um, but had double underhooks underneath, trying to hold him you know, face to chest. And Jorge used one hand to come around the head, and had the other hand, he just waited and moment, uh, waited for the moment to, to strike. This hand was so deep on a cross face, he was almost reaching behind the other guy's armpit. He could almost grab his fingers in the other guy's armpit, which is actually what you want to do. So he was like crunching the head on one side. And then on the other side, he brought his hand, he waited for the moment, snuck his hand underneath for an underhook, and, and then it, it looks like, you know the Adams family, that hand that walks like this? There's a thing in, in jiu-jitsu where you literally, like, w- inch your hand, like, your fingers, if this is the mat, your fingers touch, and you, like, inch your hand up. And that sounds stupid if you have an underhook and you're trying to, because the more I can raise your arm away from your body, the weaker you get. 
that hand inching actually works. It, it's legit. You don't just like try to force your arm up. They they kind of can't fight you when you do that. You just little inch your hand up, and he did it and got underneath where they had an arm triangle. Now he couldn't quite finish. Tried to get parallel was a little too high. All those things you kind of saw. Um, but it was an interesting thing that he did there. I, I like the way he he had, was in a bit of a bad spot. I mean he was he had the mount, but he was in a bit of a bad spot not having the double unders, and then sort of sort of found a way to um, to just time it just so to get his hand underneath and inched his hand up and. Uh, and secure the choke, didn't finish, but definitely won that round, and of course, won the fight. There was also another exchange where Shockley was um, trying to scramble, was about to get hit with a Darce, used that to then get the same position, double unders underneath, this time with butterfly hooks. He uh, leans to the, to, he leans to um, one side on the butterfly hook to get Jorge uh, to plant, and then uh, use that to scramble. So he had planted his weight, which meant he was a little bit immobile on that side, and then I think he used that to scramble out the corner. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and that was about it from that fight that was memorable. Uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade defeated Cody Gibson, unanimous decision 29-28, 30-27, and 29-28. Terrible decision. Should have gone to Cody Gibson 29-28. I did not appreciate that too much, but what are you going to do? Um... Cody Gibson had a few things I thought that went well for him, you know. Uh, I thought that some of his entries to takedowns were desperate, but there were moments where he was able in close succession, so he'd, he'd miss on a combination, but he wouldn't back out and reset. He would kind of stay in the guy's face while he was pushing forward, and DeAndrage was kind of still circling his back against the cage, sort of staying on him, which come, sometimes comes at a cost, but at least he had... It, it took those multiple amounts of efforts in close succession to get Andrade, Andrade to make a mistake, right? So you're playing speed chess with a guy, and again, the majority of the time, the guy who initiates scrambles are the guy who's going to win him. And this isn't quite a scramble exactly, but it is a little bit. Um, had a decent jab, but again, the head movement on Cody Gibson, a bit of a show. His wasn't too bad, but it wasn't too good either. Um, kept getting countered over the top. That was one thing I noticed. There was one exchange here that I thought was awesome. So Gibson was not having a lot of success just diving in for doubles. So against the fence, after a a period of where he had to sort of chase him against the fence, he manages to lock up a single leg attempt. Goes for the single leg dump, doesn't work, changes directions, and then lifts the leg while he has a cross face on the other side and goes for a dump. As he goes for a dump, though, this is kind of awesome. Um... DeAndrage, to his credit, reached for a leg underhook, and when he got dumped, used the momentum to keep the weight moving, and then sort of basically rolled Gibson over, and then turned the opposite way to claim base on top. That was, oh, no, sorry. Gibson dumped him, he kept the uh, leg underhook to try to come on top, and then quite couldn't, because he was going to get his back taken, Granby rolled to reset the angle of the position, and then came on top. That was awesome. A Granby roll is off. It's, a Granby roll is just when you roll across your shoulders. You're not rolling across your back. You're not rolling this way. You're not rolling that way. You're not even rolling at an angle. You're simply rolling laterally across your shoulders. And what it does is it can often reset the angle. And in this case, it did. So he reset. He has basically has his back to him. He Granby rolls and then turns over into him to claim his base on top. Nice, nice stuff from um, from DeAndrage in that particular exchange. Here we go. Perfect example of the head movement. Mike De La Torre, Torre, however you pronounce it, uh, defeats Tiago Trator. 
uh, via KO punches at 259 of the first round. Now, first of all, I had I think the last two fights were the only ones I got right on the whole card. As we know, 10 upsets is insanity. Literally a record, I think, for WC Pride, Strikeforce, and UFC cards. I mean, just we're talking nuts uh, that this happened. And this is why the sport's so crazy and it's kind of so awesome. Um, this fight... Mike Dellatore found that the left hook was working over and over and over again and was able to finish when he anticipated Tretor throwing a kick to the opposite side. So if they try to throw a kick to one side, the counter is a punch on the other side. That's the counter. It's typical because when you're throwing a kick, you often do what? This, so the side's exposed. And if you can come over the top of the punch and land it, easier said than done, but that's the typical counter, right? Uh, but before that, if you noticed, he was kind of pressuring Trator backwards, and there was just a lazy jab and lazy defense on the same side of, of Trator. So he wasn't drawing his hand back, he wasn't keeping a shell, and his head was ramrod straight. There was a moment where he had rocked him maybe 30 seconds or even a minute earlier with double left hooks. I mean, you never see double left hooks. Both of them landed. Both of them landed, and it hurt him bad. And so he saw this guy's not covering up on this side at all. He's not moving his head off center at all. Let's go right back to it. He, and they set him up with the leg, uh, with the outside kick, and came over the other side with the left hook. One quick uh, uh, thing of note, which I loved from Mike Dillatore in the finish. Um, so he knocks him down with the left, finishes him off with the right, with the, this brutal ground and pound, right? This brutal ground and pound over the top. Go back and watch. He actually has... The left leg of Trator, he's grabbing it. And then he's pounding and coming over the top with the right, partly to land, I think, with authority. It gives him something to hold on to as he throws. And the other part was it, it won't allow um, Trator to scramble as easily. He keeps a hold of him. Uh, I thought that was awesome. A nice little twist from Mike Dillatore there. Uh, Matt Dwyer defeated William uh, Padalino Macario. KO Superman punch at 1 minute and 3.14 of the first round. They broke this one down. They were kind of pulling with their jab and with their teep and seeing what he was doing, and he was trying to parry it away. And so they faked like he was going to come with, a, I think, a leg kick. Watched him parry it, and then came over the top of the Superman punch, cracked him, and that was all she wrote. Nice, nice KO for Matt Dwyer. And I thought his uh, post-fight speech was really um, simple but effective and, and in, ma in many ways memorable. Uh, all right, Marion Renault defeated Jessica Andrade via submission triangle choke at 154 of the first round. Yo, let me tell you something right now. Marion Renault is out here letting people know what time it is. How do you not watch her and think, whoa, we've got something here? I think she's a little bit older. I don't have her uh, age right in front of me. Um, I know she got passed over for season 20 of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. When fighters come out and consistently perform with chips on their shoulder. Frodo Hospolaev was exactly the same way before everything got derailed for him over in Bellator. Um, guys like Frodo has, you know, and Marion too, plenty of skill. Skill's not the issue. Um, you know, not to say that they're the best in the world, but they've definitely got all pieces of the game, at least a little bit, to be competitive with a lot of people. But more than that, they fight with a certain kind of intensity. And for Renault, she fights with a great controlled intensity. She goes out there and knows there's some people you can just tell them, okay, these are the conditions you have to establish to win. 
you should take center. You should be pumping your jab. And behind the jab should follow a, a, a right straw or a left straight um, or a right straight and should follow that with a hook and a leg kick. And you should be circling to this angle. When you jab, you need to be cutting an angle. And maybe that, that doesn't work. You need to do this amount of things to get a level change. And once you get a level change and a takedown, you should be able to turn on a corner without having to go to the cage. And once you get that corner turned and you're on top, you should be able to pass to this side. when you pass. I mean, all these things, right? You just explain to them like a program. You have to do all these things. She does that. She does that. She listens to her corner well, and she just basically understands, if I want to win, these things have to happen. Uh, and I guess what I mean is some people are like, well, I'm not going to do those things that, that I'm not going to establish those conditions. I'm going to do what I'm really good at and let the conditions sort of fall afterwards. And that works a lot of the times, uh, especially if those people are really good at it. But I... I there's something different about someone who comes out right from the beginning and says, I'm going to establish the conditions that enhance the likelihood of my victory. And I'm certainly going to use my, my skills to do it, but their skills are so diverse, they don't have to rely on one thing or the other. They can just go out and make things happen if they have to. They can react defensively, as she did. But more than that, they just go out there, they just set the tone and set the terms right on up. And she pumps the jab with a controlled ferocity. Now, she got a little bit of trouble, so she was uh, the jab was good. Uh, and even the, the, the straight punches behind the jab were good, but she got a little too, she's still learning. She got a little too overconfident with it and kind of squared up on Andrade and was exchanging a little bit right in front of her. Andrade, this is what she sort of specializes in, these like pocket exchanges. And so she tagged Renault a couple times. Now, I don't think Renault was very hurt. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the punches hurt. I don't mean that, uh, what I mean to suggest is I don't think Renault's, um, consciousness was significantly altered. And then on the ground, attempted to lock up a triangle, didn't work, and then tried it again and did it fantastically. Waited for the ground and pound. Used that to establish arm, like, almost like a Russian, almost like a two-on-one from underneath. Grabbing the arm, using the right leg over the top of the neck to control the posture. And then Andrade was trying to pass, uh, yeah, Andrade was trying to pass, but did a really poor job of moving uh in a circular way around it. So Renault was able to force the knee, not just to the hip to prevent the pass, but then come right behind the arm. I mean, you want to talk about textbook hips way off the ground, great control. And it may, it may look loose because one side is open, but if someone has your arm and they got a nice grip on it and they know what they're doing and the other leg is chopping down the back of your neck, bro, let me tell you something. You are going to be in a, again, someone very good is going to escape. But if you don't do the things you're supposed to, you're going to be in trouble. And here's what I mean. Like, you could be in mount on someone, but if you, if you know they have good underhooks and they have an under, all of a sudden they get an underhook on you. Yes, you have mount. You have to respect that underhook. You can't just say, well, I'm in mount and their underhook doesn't matter. We, we, it's a way of describing it. You have to respect it. Um, even if you're not in peril right at that moment, even if you're not in pain at that moment, there are things that people do to, again, to establish conditions of success way in advance of the ultimate outcome. And if you don't respect it early, you will pay for it late. And I really respect the fact that um, Bruno seems to do that. Uh, and more importantly, uh, just has really, really nice technique. Also, shout-outs to Marianne Renault because when she finished the triangle, she finished on a 90-degree angle. If you just look at a triangle and you're trying to lock it up, if you do it right in front of someone, depending on the size of your legs and their neck and everything else, you just course you can finish it right there but one if you turn on the corner you tighten everything up number one and number two you can as she did reach for the leg in which case they stand this leg underhooking their nearest leg to you prevents them from standing and then slamming you it's like an emergency break 
Renault had all that. Marianne Renault, and I'm going to tell, I'll just say it now, she's my fighter of the card. And you can say whatever you want about some other people on the card, and you can have everything else. I love it when people come out with chips on their shoulders, yet they have a controlled, determined, if totally undeniable ferocity. They have great technique. Um, and I like them when they're still learning too, you know, because you, 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 just, you can just imagine the possibilities of what's happening next. Marion Renault, for sure, my fighter of this card. Uh, we then move to the main card. Santiago Ponzinibbio defeated Sean Strickland. Perfect example of what I'm talking about with head movement. Just zero head movement from Sean Strickland. I commend Sean Strickland because he looked like he's a physical specimen at the weight class. I commend him because he did not gas at all. And I think that's kind of important. He he at least gave himself enough tools to stay in the fight in terms of the things. You know, if you, if you still have cardio and you know you have some skills, you would at least give yourself a chance. And I think Sean Strickland should be commended for that. But Jesus Christ, man, these are things that these guys out here have got to tighten up. Sean Strickland is too physical, too intelligent, and has too many other skills to waste by virtue of the fact that he has no head movement. He's not doing himself any favors. Ponzinibbio was able to go to the right hand over and over and over and over and over again. Measures him out, ducks, and then came over the top constantly constantly it was just ridiculous to watch and i also thought that the defense of sean strickland like this has to be tightened up and oh who who are you luke thomas to criticize these ufc fighters fine you don't take my word for it just go watch the tape go watch the tape and tell me i am materially off the mark here just i i I, please by all means tell me that that it was something else that caused him to win yes ponzinibbio was mixing it up with outside front legs uh, uh low kicks that was important, too. That established some different conditions. But it never hurt Strickland enough to really slow down his movement. It really That, that was, a, it was a component, for sure. But it was not any kind of a substantive component that, one way or the other, altered the outcome of the fight. Um, it was that head movement, or the lack thereof, from Strickland that was such a liability for him. Um, I, thought that the, I thought that the scrambling, even when he got hurt early from Ponzinibbio, in terms of the um, takedown defense, was really great. I really appreciated that. There was a certain urgency to it that enabled him to get uh, Strickland off of him a little bit easier. Um, so, look, I, I, I think Ponzinibbio looked a lot better than I thought he was going to. Strickland not as good as I thought he was going to. Um, but in the end, uh, oh, and there's nothing that would happen. So, like, Ponzinibbio would measure with the jab, duck, and then come over the top with the punch. There was no uppercuts from Strickland ever. I don't think he threw a single uppercut. Now, to his credit, when he was pumping the jab enough, there, it was a quick release and a quick return, but the return was low, and it was good. There was, there was minutes where he was keeping Ponzinibbio at bay, like there was something there. But, when, but, the, but if he just didn't, if he slowed down for 15 seconds, he would get lit up. So that, to me, was just, was just problematic for him. Uh, Frankie Signs defeated uh, Yuri Alcantara. Unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, and 29-28. Again, a fight I was totally wrong about. Uh, Alcantara did much worse than I thought he was going to. Um, big takeaway for me for this fight was Alcantara has really good uh, jiu-jitsu. Uh, great attacks from the back. Some decent sweeps, but not enough. But here was the big one. The big one for me when watching, this happened several times. Um... In MMA, it might be different. You know, I don't know if the rules apply exactly the same. But in jiu-jitsu, if you're trying to pass on top and someone is trying to sweep you, you don't just, like, let them sweep and then just start playing guard. You, you do that if you have to, but you should be fighting the sweep and then fighting to get back on top. You know, you shouldn't just say, oh, I'm just going to oh, roll over now, I'm just going to start playing guard. 
the Mendez brothers are big about this. You have to, if you have a game plan in mind, um, you have to establish it, particularly if you're already in that spot and something went wrong um, because you were being lazy. You don't just say, oh, well, I'm just going to start playing guard now. You don't do that. And there was a lot of times where the big difference for me was Signs would go for a takedown. A Contra would stop it early. Signs would stay on him. And Alcantara would lose the scramble and just say, "Okay, well, I'm going to play guard now." Um, he, there was a lack of there was a lack of scrambling intensity on his part and a willingness to play guard for too long that I thought was kind of problematic. Great guard passing and great, at least attacking on top from signs. Um, nice nice amount of volume, good activity on top, um, good submission defense, good uh, good good balance on top from Frankie Signs. So great performance from him. But for me, that was the big takeaway was if you just press Alcantara enough in a wrestling scramble, he will relent and just start playing guard with you. And that, to me, is really problematic. Um, Because ultimately you're saying, well, I'll just play in a position that I was fighting a second ago, but um, uh, in a position, by the way, that my opponent wants to put me in because they have great submission defense. But I'll do it anyway. Like, it's just not going to work, man. If you want to play guard because you want to play guard, then play guard. Uh, Adriano Martins surprising me. Defeating uh, Rustam Habilov via split decision 29-28 uh, on two cards and then 28-29 on the other. Terrible fight. Not a lot of activity. The most shocking thing for me was the wrestling of Martins being enough for Habilov. He did look significantly bigger. Um, and was, and I was able to land a couple of good shots on him. But there wasn't just a lot of output from either guy. And Martins did just enough with some of those extra takedowns to claim the fight. Sam Alvey defeated Cesar Fajera Mutanchi via KO. This one was kind of hilarious, man. Mutanchi was doing everything imaginable. He's like wheel kicks or capoeira kicks they were missing, but he was throwing them. He was jabbing to the body and then getting out. He was good. He was using good movement all the way around. They were staying in one spot. He was landing overhand rights when he had to. He was throwing good leg kicks. I mean, Sam Alvey was just taking a beating. Uh, all that had to happen. All that had to happen. Uh, Mutanchi goes to throw an up elbow, okay, and kind of lands more on the tricep and not the elbow, backs out, throws a, I believe, a left. Yes, he throws a left over the top um, without much of a, a setup. Like, it wasn't like a great jab. He just kind of, like, threw it out there a little bit. Alvi gets off to the right. Oh, excuse me. Alvi gets off to the left, comes over with a right, but then immediately... So, that, so he knocks him a little bit with the right, but then immediately comes up and digs with like a shovel punch to the left, and and as you saw, put him down. So it was great. Like actually, he slipped a punch and then threw at the same time. Head movement saves you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, Sam Alvey, for whatever else he is good or bad at, head movement in that one saved him. Good timing, good head movement, getting off center, throwing at the same time, and then coming right back with the left, uh, dropping uh, Mutanchi, and then finishing him off from there. That was at 3.34 of the first round. Not much more to it than that, except to say, um, Fajera, you know, I, the older I get, the more I really respect what these guys do in the cage, so I don't want to call him a bust, but I can just say that I do feel comfortable in saying um, there have been certain expectations, fair or unfair, made of Mutanchi. Although, if you looked at his early career, there was other fights. There was another fight that this one reminded me of, um, which fight was it from Mutanch that I, yeah, the Elvis uh, Mutapchich fight. This looked, almost reminded me exactly of that. That one ended at 25 seconds of the first round. You know, looking at that fight, even the Dalloway fight to a lesser extent, you could just sort of see that the guy's got some durability issues. Um, so he has just sort of failed to live up to the things that he's been expected to do. I think that's pretty fair. Um, but whether those expectations were fair, Given what we had saw in that Elvis fight and the Dalloway fight, you know, I don't know. 
Great, great fight. Michael Johnson defeated Edson Barboza. Unanimous decision, 29-28, and then 30-27 on the other two judges' scorecards. Um, got this fight wrong in the predictions like I did for many of them, but I at least had an idea about what this would look like. I thought that Barboza was going to use a few hand combinations, but really takedown defense and leg kicks, uh, kicks of any variety, to keep Michael Johnson at bay. Johnson was going to have to get in his face, pressure him, and use his quick hand combinations and good scrambling um, to mix things up a little bit. It was exactly that. It was exactly that. It was a really, honestly, you're going to, I'm not saying that this was the same level of importance by any stretch or that it looked identical to it. I'm not saying that. But there were shades of Fedor versus Krokop. If you go back and watch the Fedor fight, it was slowly backing in. He was, now, Johnson was much more forceful about it. But the issue was, if, if these guys have to kick, they need to be able to plant and throw. And if you're constantly backing them up, constantly backing them up, they can't do that. Again, Nikki Holtzkin, Raymond Daniels from Glory 19, same thing. Um, and so you saw Barboza on his on his horse. There's my dog. You saw Barboza on his horse the whole time trying to do something, trying to just find the space to throw. And a couple times he landed a hero there, mostly to the body, but less so to uh, anything else. Um, and... Johnson was really just kind of pressuring him all the time, winning on hand combinations. I, I noticed that the speed differential, and Barboza is no slow guy at all, the speed differential for Johnson was relatively incredible. His hand speed is excellent, excellent hand speed. Now, he got a little wild with some of his punches, I think, in trying to pursue Barboza. Um, you know, there was a little bit of looseness about the position that maybe he could have encountered a couple of times, but he was putting such heat on Barboza that he couldn't really collect himself and find the wherewithal to, 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 uh, and the space to, to properly operate. So great game plan by Michael Johnson, great execution. I love the game plan. It's like people don't want to walk into Barboza. They don't want to fight him. But like Johnson said, again, what are the conditions that have to be established to win? You have to get this guy backing up. Okay, and we'll just march him down. It was amazing to watch, actually. Uh, and then in the main event, Frank Mir defeated Antonio Silva uh, via KO at 140 of the first round. Another, uh, look, you know, I don't know what the future holds for Mir and neither do you. And I don't know what the future holds for Bigfoot and neither do you. But this to me was a really interesting fight because I just feel like Frank Mir, for all of the problems he's faced recently, and I didn't see this coming, I thought Silva would just be a little bit more aggressive than he was. He actually was kind of sitting back a little bit and, and maybe that cost him. Well, it actually definitely cost him. Um, but what I noticed was, um, Frank Mir just has a lot of different tools if he really wants to use them. And uh, maybe a lot of times he's not put in a position where he's able to. So here's what he was doing. He was showing a lot of movement and he was testing, um, Silva's reactions. Okay. So he was pumping the jab and, uh, normally what Silva was doing was doing this. He was coming up and shielding off the jab as he was doing that a, a few times. Um, what Mir was waiting for was the parry. Same thing you saw in the, uh, in the, which fight was that? The, oh yeah, the Dwyer-Macario fight. So what does he do? Throws the jab with the left hand. Silva tries to parry it. He then comes over the top with the left hook now that that side's exposed. Bang. Puts him down and then finishes him off with a savage array of elbows. Great performance from Frank Mir. Again, I don't know how much we can really read into it. Um, people are saying, how can this guy you know, fight um, Mark Hunt the way he did, and then farts, fights, farts, and then he fights Frank Mir the way he did? I don't know. People, what about maybe the, the, the Hunt fight took it out of him? 
you could say that too, but, you know, he was getting, I mean, Antonio Silva got knocked out by Daniel Cormier in a similar way, he, which he got knocked out by um, Frank Mir. So I don't know exactly what his situation is, and people are wondering, is it getting on or off TRT? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think TRT has anything to do with sort of strengthening the architecture of what, you know, gives you some durability in terms of, your, of, of oh, there you go, there's 30 minutes. Um, I, I just don't think that matters, the TRT point. All right, so because we've gone so long, let's quickly talk about two fights, and then I'll get out of here. I know I'm running long, and I apologize. One, Gennady Golovkin defeating uh, Mr. Murray. I want to pull up the stats here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so Gennady Golovkin defeated Martin Murray. This was in Monaco. It aired about 5.45 p.m. on HBO. Punch stats. Golovkin landed 292. Murray just 131. Uh, Golovkin threw 816. Murray through 469. So it was about 36% for Golovkin, uh, or Golovkin, and then 28% for Murray. Um, won't spend too much time on this at all because we're already over time, but just want to say the following. There's a lot of talk about uh, Golovkin, Golovkin's power, as well there should be. I mean, everything he throws seems to hurt, but that's sort of one part. He's not loading up on big power shots. It's, it's, it's just the precise moments he's finding to land. Everything he throws hurts. Like, he doesn't have one big punch. He just throws a jab, bang, it stings you. He throws a jab, cross, bang, bang, it stings you. Jab, cross, hook to the body. All of it feels sort of really uniquely terrible. Dropped him uh, twice in the fourth round with body shots. Golovkin did. Murray hung on, though. Murray hung on. Which was funny to me about this whole thing was Golovkin would just walk you down. Like, he was doing what Johnson did, but it was, I mean, we're talking about a ring where, you know, um, you have to be careful about the angles, and it's a little bit more narrow, and you can walk into a punch. Golovkin just... Just walked him down, would back him up against the ropes, and then go to work. And what I really noticed was, one, everything Golovkin throws hurts, and he doesn't have a signature punch. So it's not like you can look out for one thing. It's not like Holtzkin's left hook or, you know, a Tyson uppercut or something. He threw everything that hurt. He would throw double front side uppercuts to raise the chin of Murray. Um, the body shot, the left hook to the liver was, was dramatic. Um, but what I really liked was, like, Golovkin works behind the jab. And he has different entries and different setups when you were when 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 Murray would be shelled against the ro- the ropes, um, Golovkin would have different setups. You know he would sometimes lead with a straight, sometimes he would lead with a jab. But much of the work he did in this fight was behind the jab. It really truly was. It was very very impressive in that regard. I was kind of I was kind of amazed. Like Golovkin has finesse. He has technique. He has a wide array of talents. There's not one thing you can pin him on and say, well, if you just stay away from that, then everything would be fine. No, he is a complete boxer in many ways who just happens to hit really hard with everything he throws which makes what he does so problematic i think he knocked him down again in the ninth or the tenth uh as murray was getting banged up and was trying to circle out of the corner and as he was coming out golovkin followed him with a right floored him put him down and they eventually just called the fight in the 11th because he just was getting lit up murray incredibly tough um but golovkin it was just amazing to me one how great he could work behind the jab but when he needed to be diverse in tight to get Murray to open up the shell, he could. And, again, just that there's no one power shot. You're like, oh, my God, stay away from the right straight. No. He throws everything, and everything lands to a point where it makes you suffer. So his record moves to 32-0 and with 29 KOs. Pretty special. Uh, last but certainly not least, our boy, Tom. Sorry. My thing's about to die. Um, Tom Dukenwa. Out of Bama 18, fought a Polish kid who uh, was Christoph, uh, I can't remember his last name, but it was just from the weekend. Tom, du- uh, du- uh, 
I keep pronouncing his name, Tom Duquenois. Tom Duquenois, I believe is how you pronounce it. A lot to look forward to with this prospect, a lot. Um, he looked absolutely phenomenal. He just doesn't look like he's nailed to the ground. He is so light on his feet. It's kind of incredible. Um, obviously, he has some issues with defensive wrestling, though, and would do things where he would be like trying to control an arm and wind up pulling the guy on top of him, which would cause him to get flattened out. So he's definitely got some things he needs to work on in that regard. Um, but on the feet, really mixing it up, switching stances, um, and staying patient, too. I really appreciate that about him. But in the third round... He switched stance, threw a knee to the body, hurt his opponent, um, followed up, made him stand back up again, and then, uh, oh, no, so excuse me, followed to the ground, punched him in the solar plexus, then stood back up, and then threw another uh, liver shot, and then finished him off once they, uh, uh, once he came back up for the for the second time. Um, a great performance again. Let's see what he can do against the fence. I didn't think his takedown defense was that good there, and on the ground, he just doesn't make some good grappling decisions, which tells me he's got inexperience there. Like, making poor grappling decisions is not about, hey, have you learned X amount of techniques? Um, it's partly that, but it's also partly understanding physics, right, and biomechanics. If I do this, what am I doing to, the, to our position here? I'm all balancing myself. I'm setting myself up for this. And, yes, you can be taught part of that, but it's also a function of just understanding human reactions, understanding human physics, and understanding physics generally. That's how you keep yourself out of trouble. Um, okay, so there's that one. Golovkin, we talked about it. Let's talk quickly, 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 quickly about next week. Three fights this coming week. We've got Invicta FC 11, Bellator 134, and then UFC uh, Fight Night. What am I saying? UFC Fight Night. UFC 184. Obviously, Rousey versus Ngano is going to be one to watch on that card. You also want to watch out for, I think, Gleason Tebow versus Tony Ferguson. Um Kid Yamamoto's on that card. No one's even talking about it. So that's the one you want to look out for as well. That's coming up uh, on Invicta. Obviously, Charmaine Tweet taking on um, um, Cyborg. But look out for the two Mexican ladies. I think Alexa Grasso. Let me pull it up real quick. The uh, card, I apologize. Invicta 11. Here we are. Sorry, I'm going to pull this joker up. They're going to be at the open workout, as a matter of fact. Let's see here. Apologies all. Okay, here we go. Uh, yeah, Alexa Grasso is going to take on Mizuki Inoue, who's really good herself, but uh, lost her last outing. And then Irene Aldana taking on Melanie LaCroix. Uh, be on the lookout for those two as well. And then, of course, on the Bellator 134 card, um, Linton Vassal, I think, is going to have his way with Sukaju. Liam McGeary, this is going to be a big test for him, and I think... Um, you know, I think he's just got a. I think his explosive, powerful striking style is going to be problematic for Emmanuel Newton. The question is, if Emmanuel Newton decides to wrestle him, what then happens? I'm not convinced about McGeary in that department just yet. Not saying he can or he won't. Just saying we haven't quite seen enough of a test there. Not saying Emmanuel Newton's the best wrestler, but might be the better wrestler or best wrestler that um, he's faced. So that's one to sort of pay attention to as well. Michael Venom Page returns on that card. Let me take one last look at UFC 184 before we sign off here. Uh, okay. So I mentioned uh, Kid Yamamoto's on the card like no one's even talking about it. Um, Holly Holm will be on the card as well. It's the return of Hoan, Car uh, Juan, Juan, Roan, Hoan, however you pronounce it, Carnero, um, who almost defeated John Fitch once with a crazy darse uh, against Mark Munoz. And then, um, 
That's about it for things that are notable on that card. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas. You can email me at Luke.Thomas at SBNation.com. For my dog, Barbus, and everyone else at MMA Fighting, see you next time. Enjoy the fights.